0: That's right. And that's why the Scriptures teach us to look to Him. And when we look at Him and how He went through His and bared His cross, went through what the Father had given Him to do, the Scripture says that He heals all our backslidings, our unfaithfulnesses as we look to Him. Because He's our example. Hebrews 12, uh, Hosea 14, all those things are helping us Keep our eyes on Jesus. Matter of fact, in our, in our reading in the last several days, yesterday, Jesus is saying, if any man want to come after me, if anybody want to follow me, because he just told them really for the first time what he was going to have to go through. And when he did that, remember Peter told him, Lord, God forbid, you don't, you don't have to go through all this. There's no reason for you to go through that. And what was Jesus' response to him? Get thee behind thee, Satan. Why? Because what, what Peter was suggesting to him in the natural realm was to have pity on yourself. Pity yourself. You don't have to go through this hardship and this trouble and this difficulty. You don't deserve it. You haven't done anything deserving for men to treat you that way. So reconsider it. You don't have to do that. And his first mind, first instinct was... Is Satan get behind me? And then he says, you are more mindful. You think more about what man's needs are and not the kingdom of God. And that's where he then turns to his disciples and says, any man wants to come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross and come after me, follow me. Look at Matthew 16 and then we'll look in Mark 8. Matthew 16, let's start in verse number 21. This goes right along with Mark chapter 8. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must, not that he should, that he might, but that he what? He must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, And he will be killed and raised the third day. Now Peter, when he heard this, Peter just did what what any of us naturally would do. We have a natural tendency to want to pity one another. Then Peter took him aside and began to correct him, rebuke him, put it into the mind of him... To say, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. See, Peter's taking on the authority as if he is the one who is to say what should or shouldn't happen to the Lord, to Jesus. Just like we have to be careful of saying to somebody what should or shouldn't happen in their life. You know how many people get in trouble in relationships and marriages and all that because they go to work? And they sit in there talking to somebody and, and they find out that their husband or their wife may not be the absolute uh, best husband or wife in all the world. And they don't do this for their wife or they don't do that for their uh, husband and, and this and that. And all of a sudden somebody was like, you don't have to go through that. You should never be, um, uh, have to deal with a husband or a wife that way. You shouldn't have to live that away and they start putting it into their mind to start uh, pitying themselves and feeling sorry for themselves that they're in the position that they end and then it starts growing in them and it starts feeding in them and before you know it they look at their husband who may not be the best husband but who is the best husband? Who is the best wife? For an example, I've told you all before, we get a lot of, I get people always asking about how they wish they had a church like Briggs Chapel Church, and and if they were in our community, they would come to church here. I said, don't say that, well, that ain't so. We, we got folks in our community that don't come either, and you might be just one of them. If you're not finding a place where you are, you ain't going to come here, I promise you. Amen? Now, they don't like that when I tell them that. They normally don't write me back, but I always try to be upfront and honest that you, you telling me God's limited to your standards in going back to looking like this and for let's just illustrate it like this. We know that there are, are better pastors and better preachers and better teachers than others, just like there are better husbands and there's better wives out there than than some. And everybody would testify and say, but no wife or no husband is to leave their husband or their wife because another husband or another wife is better than their husband or wife. Amen. Well, that same way applies to us as a congregation. There's other congregations that might be better suited in an area or preachers that are better than other preachers. But I don't leave the fellowship that God assigned me to because that preacher may be better than the preacher that God gave me or that Sunday school teacher is not as good as this Sunday school teacher. You see what I'm saying. When we look at it from that perspective, we don't leave our spouse because that spouse is better than our spouse. We just don't do that. Well, why would we do that in church life? You see, but people start putting that in people's minds and then they feel like they have the right to leave. They have the right to say no. They have the right to say, no, you don't need to go through that. Well, Peter was just acting like the rest of us, letting the flesh and anything that is led of the flesh is of of Satan. Y'all say that with me. Anything of the flesh is of this world, and whatever is of this world is of who? Right. It is, plain and simple. The flesh is at enmity with God, and the flesh is in rebellion to God. He just operated natural. It's natural for you and me to look out for one another naturally, meaning that when I see you fixing to go through something or enter something, I've got to be careful not to try to keep you from that, especially if that's what God wanted you to enter in. This, this, this was a must. This, this could, you can't alter this for Jesus. It had to happen this way. Why? This was God's divine will for him. This was his cross to bear. That's why he says, Peter or Satan or the flesh, you're more mindful of the things of men and you're not mindful of the things of God. Your mind is fixed on the things that are convenient and comfortable for men that that men need. What does men need? What What does women need? They need somebody to pity them. They need somebody to help them go through life, helping them feel sorry for themselves. That's how the flesh thinks. That's not how God works. I told you all before, God will never make you feel sorry for yourself. He just doesn't do that. Why? That has no value for us in the kingdom. None. Where's pity parties from? Where? They're from hell. They're from Satan. They're from the flesh. But what we mentioned the other night, and we know that from a, 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 a supernatural understanding, but oftentimes we cast that common sense out the window and still throw a big old pity party, don't we? Even though we know it, we throw that, what we know out the window and then coddle flesh well that's all Peter was doing he was saying Lord pity yourself show mercy to yourself and the Lord said but he turned and said get behind me Satan this is verse 23 you are you are an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men the things of men they go over to Mark's gospel let's just look from there And the reason I brought that out because Mark doesn't get into those details of that conversation that the Lord had with Peter or Peter turning and rebuking and telling the Lord uh, that he needed to feel sorry for himself and he don't need to go through this. That little section was left out in Mark's translation of this event. But he says in verse number 34, and when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, verse 34 says, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Luke says daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels, which Mark's gospel is the only one that says that, we will save it, verse 36, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For what or whoever is ashamed of me and my words, my gospel in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. Now that, that's, that's a word right there. I mean, that that is a lot. What's the context of it? Because we always want to biblically interpret things by its context. What's the context? We've been talking about it. The context is Jesus just the first time revealed to his disciples what he was going to have to go through. And it was a must. Peter steps in and says, you don't have to. But he had to. So Peter gets corrected by the Lord. And then the context says that Jesus turned to his disciples along with the crowd. He invited the crowd that was there with his disciples and then began to explain to them that if anyone whosoever desires to come after me, that is to follow behind me into what I just said I'm going to, for this to happen, you gotta, he gives an imperative, a command. We got a context, the situation. The command is, what? You gotta deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me, which is also the conditions. The command is, this is something that we gotta do, but the condition is, you gotta deny yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. Basically, I believe this is what's happening. He's teaching this crowd along with his disciples this. Just like Jesus said that he was going to have to go through that, you're going to come across people in the kingdom that for them to follow me into what I just said I'm about to walk in, there's going to be a natural tendency for you when they say that they've got to this assignment from the Lord, there's going to be a tendency for you to try to get in their way. Just like Peter did. Somebody's going to say, well, um, somebody invited me to Uganda. Or somebody invited me into a war zone to go bring the gospel of Jesus to those people there. What would be, somebody's invited me to go to Tibet. What's the first thing you do when Blake says, I'm going to Tibet? You sure? You but you don't in way. huh You sure God's calling you to do that I mean he's already got a confirmation from God that's what he's supposed to do I can feel that I need to keep my know that I can't pray for them. you What we looking for in a situation like that is this Are they denying themselves? Are they taking up their cross? Remember that cross is the idea of their assignment, something God's given them. That assignment's going to include being rejected at times. That assignment's going to include suffering for the cause of Christ. That assignment is going to include being shamed for doing what you're doing for 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 Christ. All that's going to be included in that assignment. He's basically saying, don't do what Peter just did and tried to get in my way from the assignment God gave me. Now, we've got to be careful with that. Now, we don't want to keep people from going, but at the same time, we can ask, is this a burden God's given you to do? You know, are you denouncing your rights to your conveniences and your comforts to take up this assignment to follow? God's leading you into this. He's shepherding you through this. We want you to do what God wants you to do. There's nothing wrong with asking people if they've got a burden for this, if this is something God's doing or this is something that you, you may want to do. Or you've been asked to do, but God didn't give you this to do. And you're getting out of His will. The safest place in the world is in the will of God. Even in the most dangerous place in the world. Wow. It's being under the wings of the Almighty. If you're supposed to be in Africa and you here, you're a lot worse off here than you would be if you were in Africa. Are you with me? Yeah. Or if your mission was somewhere else and you was not where you are supposed to be, because it was a dangerous place, but you felt like you were in a safe place where you are, you're better off going in a dangerous place in the will of God than you saying in a safe place and being outside of the will of God. And that's what we want to help people be in the will of God. And then he goes through and starts giving us the cost. What's the cost? If you notice in verse in these couple of verses, some incentives, some rewards. What's the rewards of this idea of entrusting your life to Jesus? Notice verse 35 has the word a conjunction, the word for, right? Go down a little bit further, look in verse number 36. It's there. Look at verse number 37. It's, it's, it has or what will or for what will. Look in verse 38. For whosoever is ashamed of me, all these things Jesus has given us the cost to this, that there's a cost in not denying yourself and taking up the cross and following after him. What is that cost? If you try, if you entrust your life to yourself, what are you going to do? You're going to lose it. But if you will lose your life, for that is entrusted to his care, you'll save it you'll preserve it. That's basically what he's talking about is entrusting. To save your life, that means you're going to save your life because you are more concerned about being what the flesh wants. What does the flesh want? Remember when we did that study out of the nation's that was in the land of Canaan and they represented the flesh. The flesh wants to be accepted. The flesh wants to be approved. The flesh wants to, um, to gain and it wants to uh, be open-minded. It wants to be friends with the world. It wants to be accepted. It wants to be popular. It wants to be liked by everybody. And he says if you entrust and protect your life because you want this more and you're not willing to... Suffer and die and be rejected and go through shame and even death for me. You're going to wind up losing your life because you trust in your ways better than the master's way. Because we're talking about eternal life here. Look in John 12. Look in John 12. Hold your spot there. John 12. John 12. I think we have. The thoughts. In. In. Mark's gospel of saying this, that look, this applies to all of us in the kingdom. If a man wants to follow after Jesus, the conditions of that will be he must deny himself, take up the cross and follow him. But anybody that's not willing to do that is going to lose their soul. Because that's what he's bringing out. Watch. John 12, I think it's verse number... Verse 25, he who loves his life will what? To love something means you're going to do all you can to take care of it, to preserve it, to treasure it, to uh, nourish it, to hold on to it. But he who, on the other hand, hates his life, who's willing to yield his life over in this world will what? Keep it for eternal life. You see, Matthew's gospel tells us as well, if a man's willing to gain the whole world, but he loses his he loses his soul, he loses what? He loses everything. So he's helping us in verse number thirty five. If you go back to Mark's gospel, Mark eight, this is what he's saying is the, the cost of these things. This is what a man's got to consider in this cost when it applies to, to Jesus for whosoever desires to trust himself with his life is going to lose it. See, uh, trusting your life with yourself leads to losing your life. But trusting your life with Jesus leads to saving your life because he's going to draw this out. He says, for whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for who? Whoever trusts his life to me and my gospel. What is he going to do? He's going to save it. Verse 36, he gets a little bit close. He's going to explain a little bit more and show we're dealing with eternal life here. For what will it profit a man if he gains everything? If he has all the popularity, he has all the approval, he has all the money, he has everything in this world that a man could ever have if he profits and gains it all, but he loses what? Why? Because there's nothing in this world that you can gain that is equivalent to get, being able to purchase your soul. That's impossible for men to be able to purchase. There's only one who gave his life to purchase the soul of a man. And that's Jesus. Amen. Amen. And the price that it cost him was his blood. His life. So what will it profit a man if he's going to gain all this. But he's not willing what? To entrust his life to Jesus. That is denies rights. Take up his cross and follow after the Lord. that's simply saying a man that's willing to trust Jesus is going to trust Jesus with his life, and Jesus is going to preserve his soul. Jesus will do this on his merit, but if you try to if you want everything this life has to offer and you don't want to identify with Jesus and and being rejected and suffering and and being mocked and shame and all that, you would rather take that measure in your own hands and not entrust that to Jesus, you're going to lose your life. And you'll lose it forever. Because you take it matters, what? In your own hands and not entrusting your life to Him. Notice the, the next phase, phrase that he uses. Verse 37 says, Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Is there anything that you can give in exchange for your soul in this life? If you gained it all, what would you be able to give in exchange for your soul? There ain't but one thing you can give for your soul, and that's who? I see it. This is what it's all about. Either you got Jesus or you ain't got nothing. Either you have Jesus or you have nothing. Because when a rhetorical question is asked like this, You then answer it with a statement. There is nothing. There is nothing in this world outside of Jesus that can pay for the value of my soul. And if I use any other means, it will never be sufficient or enough and I will lose out in the end because I tried to I tried to use the best measures and means I am myself. To pay for my own soul. And that can't happen. There's only one person. Who has the right. And paid the rightful price. To purchase a soul. And that's Jesus. He's the only thing we have to give in exchange for. it, And that's what he says in the next statement. For whosoever. Verse 38. Is ashamed of Jesus. Me and my words. My message. In this. Adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. He's basically saying if you're not willing to trust Jesus with your life and trust his gospel, you'll be more ashamed of him and his words of identifying with him and you taking matters in your own hands to preserve and keep your own life. What's going to happen to that? You're going to lose it. You're going to lose it. So either a man identifies with Jesus or he don't. And if we don't identify with Jesus in the end, you lose it all. And I want to tell you, he's worth denying everything for. He's worth taking up our cross, the assignment, and whatever it entails, comes with that, he's worth it all to be shepherded by him. Amen? Amen? This is not a payment for your salvation. This is simply saying Jesus paid your salvation and he's worth my life for paying for my salvation. And I give him all that I have to follow after him. And anything other than that will fall short and empty in the end. Amen. This is what he's helping. Anybody want to add to it? Anything you want to ask? Jesus is worth it all. Amen. He's worth it all. 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 He paid for all and all to him I owe. All oh, to him I owe. That doesn't mean you're going to do this flawlessly. We'd, we'd be a fool to say you'd do it perfectly. Amen? I mean, y'all have done it perfectly. Yeah. But you see, when you cast your life upon him, not ashamed of him, not ashamed of his message, man, you denounce yourself. That's really what grace teaches us. What does Titus 2.11 say? For the grace of God which bringeth salvation has appeared to all men teaching us or instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all lawlessness and iniquity and purify for himself. His own peculiar people who are zealous for good works. What we just read in Mark 8, 34 through 38, that's just what grace does. Grace teaches us to say no to us and to say yes to Jesus. Amen? Amen. And a man that can't say no to himself and say yes to Jesus is a man that don't know Jesus, that doesn't know grace because that's the agenda of grace. To teach us to say no. That this world can't profit me a thing. This life can't profit me nothing. Ain't nothing I can gain nor give except Jesus for my soul. Amen. Come on. The great swap. His life for mine. My life for his. That's how you win. That's how you have life. It's found in him. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight, bless you, ask you to help us with this, teach us, continue to grow us, continue to help our brothers and sisters do these hard things you called us to, and that as we trust you, we'll walk in your way, and that we won't keep them from going through the hardships of kingdom life, for you tell us that through much tribulation we enter into the kingdom of God, and only the violent will take it by force. Thank you for the testimony of that Gentile woman who didn't mind the crumbs from the master's table. Thank you. Thank you for teaching us how important that needs are in our life and a purpose that is big, that we won't get tripped up or offended by others when they say things about us that we may not like because we've denied ourselves, taken up our cross, and we follow him after you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Love y'all. Y'all have a good night.